In addition to the paper and audio cassette collections, the Library of Congress also houses two other collections as a part of the Howard Ashman Archive. The digital collection, currently inaccessible to researchers and containing Howard's digital files, and the Moving Images collection, containing, primarily, work prints and screen tests for Howard's films. Included in the Moving Image collection is a work print that turns our understanding of the infamous ending on its head. Yep, let's talk about it. I'm Joss Hoskinson, and this is Off the Cutting Room Floor. Episode 10, The August 22nd Work Print, Part 1. in favor of the alleyway scene that uses Patrick Martin. If the role is played by Dangerfield or an actor with similarly strong recognition value, I think this one last cameo gives the scene a comic lift that recalls the tone of the first part of the film and keeps all things from being over-serious as we approach Mean Green. It also allows the end of the world theme to re-enter without awkwardness. Without Patrick Martin, I think it's impossible to retain that theme in a respectful way. Good luck. Howard. Howard, I still feel that the moment of Seymour deciding to go back is still not right. It hasn't reached its peak. I want to talk to you before you leave about these pages and my reasons for the changes to see if you're okay with them or not. I'll call. Thanks, Frank. Just in case you didn't know, in which case, hi, I don't know how you made it this far into the season, but I commend you. Little Shop of Horrors had a bit of a problem during post-production. It was intended for the film to stay faithful to the Sage musical, with the film ending with Audrey and Seymour dying at the hands, vines, of the plant, and with no one in the way, it's free to take over the world. After, of course, a very expensive siege on Manhattan, featuring amazing model work by Richard Conway. As the film neared completion, Warner Brothers scheduled a preview for the film in San Jose. According to director Frank Oz, in a 2012 interview alongside Alan Menken, I was in the Warner's jet. I came with Terry Seymour and Bob Daly, who were the head of Warner's, and David Geffen. We're all excited, and then we saw the screening, and then we got the cards, and I thought they were going to bring me back in a Greyhound or something, you know? As quoted in a 1998 piece from the LA Times, Frank explained the disaster that was the first preview screening. It was glorious till the ending. The audience was applauding after musical numbers. Bob and Terry were over the moon. Then Rick and Ellen died, and the audience went stony cold silent. It was like a cemetery. They loved those characters, and they felt betrayed by us for killing them. So, needless to say, the trip back wasn't exactly celebratory. We went back in the plane, and I remember David looking at the card saying, It's a disaster! It's a disaster! And it's so funny because this has happened so much in movies. We all decided, made a pact, that when somebody asks us how it was, it just needs a little work. (laughs) One of the most important reactions from the audience is you have to get a 55% recommend. I have the cards at home. I know this. We had to have a 55% recommend, which means that 55% of the people in the audience must be able to recommend the movie. Under that, it's not good. We got 13%. It was a disaster because we killed them. Not the other stuff. With Alan and Howard's numbers, they were applauding after every number. However, ever the producer, as quoted in the September 22nd, 1986 issue of New York Magazine, David Geffen had another story to tell when news of the reshoot was first made public. The response at the sneak was the best in the history of Warners. 
The only reason we're changing the ending is that the movie's such a hit, they want to do a sequel. And you can't do a sequel if you kill off the hero at the end. Sure, Jan. Frank immediately asked the film's producer, David Geffen, for another screening in Los Angeles, hoping a different result would come from a different audience. Geffen agreed, though the results were much the same. Thus, the next step was painfully clear. Howard and I didn't want to do it. We felt very strongly that the plant should win. To David Geffen's credit, he said before shooting, You're crazy. You cannot kill the two leads. But we wanted to stay true to the play. Discussing the original ending during an appearance at the American Puppetry Festival in 1989, Frank explained, When you're at that point, you can't think of what's being lost. All you can think of is that you have celluloid in your hands and you have an audience you have to please. And if I didn't do it, Warner Brothers would have gotten another director to do it. That's the truth of it also. It was still the best decision under those circumstances, but a decision that I was not satisfied with. And so, the writer and director, an ocean apart, quickly began working on a new ending. According to Alan Menken in a 2019 episode of Show People with Paul Wontrek, It was amazing. Howard rewrote the script in the most brilliant and surgically precise way so that they could keep much of the shots they had done, they just had to insert that. Audrey gets killed, and Seymour gets killed, and take that out, and go to the fact that they live now. In this new ending, Audrey would survive her attack, and would meet Patrick Martin in the alley behind the shop along with Seymour. For Mean Green Mother, reshoot would involve a more defiant Seymour entering the shop for his confrontation with Audrey too. At the song's climax, the plant would destroy the shop, exposing a power line. Finally, with an effective weapon, and as Audrey 2 celebrates its apparent victory, Seymour would pick up the power line, shock, and destroy the demonic vegetable. Reaction shots of Audrey, looking in through a window, would also be included on the itinerary. Actor availability also had to be considered. As Paul Dooley would now be unavailable, Patrick Martin was briefly taken out. However, Howard argued against this as he believed the character could be used for one more comedic cameo to bring the climax's tone closer to the first half of the film, stopping it from becoming too serious. As Tisha Campbell-Martin would also be unavailable for the reshoot, a stand-in would have to be used for Chiffon. The final shot would require entirely brand new footage, however, though, luckily, a pre-existing set would be used. From an outline of the new ending, dated September 10th, 1986, likely revised and edited by Frank from a concept retreatment by Howard, with the music still flowing, Seymour runs from camera with Audrey. Now, however, we see they are dressed in the same but brand new wedding outfits. They run through a rich green arbor with tall, lattice-covered hedgerows on either side. Seymour opens the white picket fence for Audrey, and they run towards the distance where we see, between a brilliant blue sky and a verdant green lawn, Audrey's dream house. All of a sudden, they stop, turn around, clap their hands, and shout towards the camera. Then from directly under camera, their cocker spaniel runs towards them. Camera follows it as it runs through the open gate and into Seymour and Audrey's arms. Camera stops on the other side of the arbor as all three scamper up the slope to their dream house. Music swells as Seymour picks up Audrey and carries her over the threshold. Just as the front door closes, the three girls enter the shot with their backs to camera, in a way shot. The first two smile and look down to the ground. Camera follows their gaze and moves down to a close-up of a bed of bright, pretty flowers. A rhythmic, musical beat begins as we see, peeking in from behind the flowers, a cute little pod. It pushes its way through, lowers its head, looks at camera, and smiles. The words, the end, flash on the screen surrounding the little pod. Cut to black. The song, Little Shop of Horrors, kicks in strong, and credits roll. Final tweaks were also being inserted to further polish the rest of the film. On the same day he received Frank's first rough pass at the new ending, Howard was sent two alternate versions of the film's opening prologue. 
On the 23rd day of the month of September in the early 1960s, the human race suddenly encountered a deadly threat to its very existence. And this terrifying enemy surfaced, as such enemies often do, in the seemingly most innocent and unlikely of places. On a small planet known as Earth, during a period known as the early 1960s, the inhabitants of that world suddenly encountered a deadly threat to their very existence. And this terrifying enemy surfaced, as such enemies often do, in the seemingly most innocent and unlikely of places. Oddly, they didn't make the cut. In 2012, Frank ruminated on the transition to the new happy ending. It was pretty seamless. I think it was hokey also. I really didn't like the intent from Warners. Howard and I completely understood it. Is that what they needed was for Seymour to be a hero. So Seymour kills the plant and is the hero. You know, I thought it was bogus, but I had no other choice and Howard didn't either. And again, you're making it for millions of people, not for me and Howard. Twelve years after the film's release, the alternate ending was finally seen with 1998's Low Shop of Horror Special Edition DVD, which featured a black-and-white dupe copy of the sequence. With unfinished special effects and minimal scoring, Frank recorded a commentary for both the final film and the alternate ending, and stated that it was, for the most part, the ending as it was shown at the infamous previews. The release is also infamous, as it was the first time a DVD was recalled for content, with Warner Brothers pulling the discs soon after they hit store shelves, releasing a version without the alternate ending later that year. Though at the time, they only confirmed that it was due to artists' relations, it was rumored that David Geffen was behind the recall. Soon, Geffen sang like a damn canary. As quoted by Entertainment Weekly, Of course I objected. They put out a black and white, unscored, undubbed video copy of the original ending that looked like shit. Frank elaborated at the time, saying in the LA Times piece, David was upset because the DVD used a black and white work print of the ending. He's a caring producer. He puts his guts into the movie. And after the DVD came out, he called me and said, I have the color version. This could be better. He also mentioned Geffen's plans for a future re-release. David either wants to re-release the movie with the original ending in theaters, or at least have a better DVD. Geffen confirmed the claim at the time. However, no such plan ever materialized. And, according to Frank, no color print of the original ending actually existed, explaining in his 1989 festival appearance, It didn't work, so we had to cut it up, and we never made a dupe of it, a copy of it. We never did, so it doesn't exist, except in video form, and I think only two people have that, and I don't even know who those are. I think David Geffen has one and someone else has another. I don't even have one myself. In 2012, after years of speculation, Lil Shop of Horrors The Director's Cut was released on Blu-ray and DVD by Warner Brothers Home Video, featuring the original ending restored in color and completed with newly finished special effects and sound effects. The release included all the special features from the original DVD, minus some of Frank's commentary, which focused on the unfinished aspect of the footage. The only thing left totally unfinished was the ending score. According to Alan, in a 2012 episode of the Musical Talk podcast, They never got to fully score that end piece, so a lot of what you're hearing is a lot of repeated music and tempt. Beautifully restored, the effort was only made possible once Warner Brothers spent a year and a half combing film archives in search for the original film elements. 
When Frank was asked in 2012 what he believes Howard would feel about the release, whether or not it's going to be successful with the audience, because I think half the audience at least will still like the happy ending, I think it does give a sense of closure that Howard meant, which is the Faustian legend. Right now, the happy ending is weird because Howard wrote, a man sells his soul and gets punished at the end. But what we had to have was, a man sells his soul and gets the girl. So I think Howard would be happy just to see that sense of that cycle. A massive, overly long sequence. Frank nonetheless swears it's the ending as it was shown to the infamous test audiences, saying during the ending's commentary, Now, had we used this ending, we certainly would have shortened it also. But we never got to that stage where we had the opportunity to hone it down. And so, with the director's cut released out to the world like a plant from beyond the cosmos, that seemed to be the end of that. <sighs> and then the work print footage showed up. I think it was hokey also. I really didn't like the intent from... Let me really read through this. 